Matthew chapter 13. Thank you so much, uh, all of you that participated in our worship this morning from uh, those up on the stage, even those out in the pew. Uh, Jesus is worthy of all our praise. And what an opportunity we have just to lift up His name to the Lord. Matthew chapter 13, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, started a series called Life After Death. What happens after we die? And we've distinguished that, and you knew this, that after you die, either you're saved or you're lost determines where you will go. The lost, when they die, will go to hell and spend eternity there. Those that are saved, when they die, will spend eternity in heaven. We've looked two times in two of our passages about two different things about hell. We looked at three different types of people in hell. And then two weeks ago, we looked at some of the aspects of a place called hell. uh, Right before a place called hell, that was the great white throne judgment out of Revelation chapter 20. Today I want us to look at Matthew chapter 13. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus spoke extensively about hell. That's why we believe that hell is a real place. Because Jesus even spoke extensively about hell. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, the Bible says, Another parable He put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to then to go and to gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now look down at verse 36 of chapter 13. Jesus begins to explain even more about the parable of the tares. Then Jesus sent to the multitude away, sent the multitude away and went into the house. His disciples came to him saying, "Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field." He answered and said to them, "He who sows the good seed is the son of man, that's Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one." The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that You would give us ears to hear. And Lord, as we hear Your Word today, whether saved or lost, God, we will respond to You. Those that are saved would be encouraged to know, to bloom where we are planted, and to go forth and to bear fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, those who do not have a relationship to You, with You today, 
May through the preaching of Your Word, may there be conviction of sin and may they come to know You and to enjoy everlasting life, Father, before it's ever too late. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A question that's been asked quite a bit, and you may ask this, and I think about it often, especially what's going on in our world today. You ask, is our world getting better or is it getting worse? In fact, some people say, before Jesus comes back, will the world get better or will the world get worse? Immediately you probably think, well, it's going to get worse. Things are going to get worse before Jesus comes back because there's, there seems to be more sin prevalent today. There seems to be more crime and more, more uh, heartache, more trials, more wars, all those different things. It seems to be that our world is getting worse before Jesus comes back. And you're exactly right. The world is getting worse before Jesus comes back. But the answer to that question is really twofold. Because as the world is getting worse before Jesus comes back, the church is getting better before Jesus comes back. The good is getting better. Today, nearly every country all across our world, somebody is hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are still people groups that are unreached. There are still over 2 billion people who do not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And for many of them, they've never heard of the name Jesus. But thank goodness for technology, for television, for the internet, and even for missionaries that are on the field, the world is getting better and more and more people are getting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the world is getting worse, there are people in, in churches that are becoming closer and closer to the Lord Jesus. There are churches that are doing things outside the box to reach the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the answer to that question, is the world getting worse or the world getting better? The answer is yes. Darkness is getting darker and light is getting lighter. Soon there will be a separation from darkness and light. Soon there will be a separation from the sheep and the goats. And as our text identifies this morning, there will be a separation between, as the Bible calls it, the wheat and the tares. Jesus explained the tares in verse 36 through 43, explained what it is. In fact, this is a parable not necessarily of the wheat and the tares. I identified it that way just for simplicity, but the context is really about the tares. It's about what happens to those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As I read this passage, you may be thinking, well, I've heard of something about seeds and planting, and that's the parable of the sower, which starts out in the first part of Matthew chapter 13. You remember that one where there are four different types of seed, four different types of soil that the seed goes out on, and, and the purpose is for the good soil that will come and produce the harvest. In this passage, 24 and following, it's about those seeds, those tares that are planted, those that are lost. What happens to them when they die? What about their life after death? couple of things I want to show you this morning from this text. The first one comes from verse 24 and 25. The Scripture says, Another parable He put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. The first thing I want you to see is the reality of sin. The reality of sin, sometimes we are naive and sometimes we just overlook how sinful our world is. There is a reality of sin. And, and when we think about that, we think about verse 24 and 25, we see where this comes from. 
The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his, in his field. That is, that is the Lord sowing the good seed, those that are saved. Verse 25, while the enemy came, we identify the enemy. Jesus did as the devil. He sowed tares among the wheat and he went his way. Satan would love to uproot Christians, but he can't do that. So instead of uprooting Christians, he plants false Christians. He plants false things that are contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. In this parable, the good seed, it's not the Word of God like it is in the first part of chapter 13, but it's the saved. It represents uh, the field is not human hearts, but the field is the world. Christ is sowing true believers in various places that we might bear fruit. Listen to what John chapter 12, 23 through 26 says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it into eternal life. Jesus is planting Christians all over this world. He is planting seeds that will produce a harvest. He is planting those who will come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. But whenever Christ sows a true Christian, Satan comes along with a counterfeit. Satan is a liar. In fact, the Bible identifies Satan as a liar. He is a deceiver. In fact, anything Jesus does, you can be rest assured there will be a counterfeit when it comes to the enemy. The Bible talks about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, that there are counterfeit Christians in our world, even in our churches. 1 John 2, 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were us. Satan has counterfeit Christians. Satan also has a counterfeit gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. There is a counterfeit gospel that is, that is, that is uh, grouped up with counterfeit Christians. There's also counterfeit righteousness. Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 3 says this, Romans 3, 10, 1 through 3, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. There's even Revelation 2, chapter 9, talks about a counterfeit church. And then soon coming during the times of the tribulation, the Bible talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12, there will be a counterfeit Christ. We know Him as the Antichrist. Anything Jesus does, there will always be a counterfeit. And as Jesus plants the good seed, Christians all over this world, the enemy is right behind planting a counterfeit, planting false Christians. They're in your workplace. 
They're in our country. They're in our families. They're in our churches. They're in our Sunday school classes. We don't know the identity of who. It's only the matter of the heart. But what I want to get across to us this morning is that there is a reality of sin. Because of sin today, there is crime in our streets. Because of sin today, we have drugs on our streets and drugs in our homes. Because of sin, we have murders and rapes and thefts and all types of things. Because of sin, we have broken homes and broken marriages. Because of sin, we have temptation on every side of life. We have division in our world, division in our country, division in our churches, all because of sin. We live in a broken world with broken people with a bunch of problems that can only be solved by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you get anywhere else in this text, know that there is sin in this world. In our world today, there's 196 countries. And in 2016, only 10 countries out of 196 did not have any type of conflict. 10 out of 196. Those 10 countries, Botswana, Chile, Chile, Costa Rica, Japan, Mauritius, never heard of that country, sorry. Panama, Qatar, Switzerland, Uruguay, and Vietnam. Darkness is getting darker. And there's a reality of sin that every person must be aware of. But the text goes on to say in verse 26 and following, not only is there a reality of sin, but I want you to see number two, the reaction of the servants. The reaction of the servants. The Scripture says in verse 26, but when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then do you have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to then to go and to gather them up? But he said, no. No. The reaction of the servants is much like many Christians in our world, and all of us have thought this, just, just get rid of them. Just pull up all the tears, get rid of all the sin, and just totally wipe them out. Wouldn't our world be so much better if there were not any sin in our world? Can you imagine a world where there's no crime, where there's no punishment, where there's no police station? where there's no lawyer, where there's no doctor, where there's no preacher, there's no sin. So none of those occupations are needed. A life of just no sin, nothing at all. A couple years ago, I was introduced to a chemical called eraser. I like eraser. You spray it on anything, grass, concrete, homes, they disappear. I mean, it's just gone. Maybe not the last two, but it just, it's something that works where it gets rid of anything you that is growing. You spray it around a fence line, your grass is gone, your weeds are gone. You spray it around the edge of a curve. It's just a neat chemical that gets, works very much like Roundup. Do not spray it on your yard today or tomorrow. You put it around where you don't want anything, and it erases all. 
for many, that's the way we want to feel like in this world as Christians. God, why don't you just get rid of sin? You remember Habakkuk? You remember what his complaint was in chapter 1? Lord, why don't you just judge evil and get rid of all types of sin? Lord, we would be so much better off. The servants are asking, Lord, do you want us to go and to gather up those, those, those tares? Do you want us to go and just get rid of all of them? And he says, no, do not do that. Before we are quick to ask God to get rid of all sin, there's a couple of things I want you to be aware of. Number one is this. If God gets rid of all sin, God would have to get rid of you and me as well. Number two, we were once a tear before Jesus Christ saved us. And number three, we are nothing apart from the grace of God. So the reaction of the servant is this, not to go and to pull everything up. Not to go and to get rid. Not to go and to try to get rid of all sin that is in this world from our strength. That can only happen through the power of the gospel. Instead, I want you to look at number, 20, number three is this, I want you to see the reflection of the seeds. The reflection of the seeds. Look at verse 29, he says, No! Do not pull up the tares, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. He says, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. I want you to see number three, that the reflection of the seeds whether it be the good seed or the seed of the tear. I want you to look at both of them as they are both coming up. Because the, the, the landowner said, that the, the, one, the one who is, who is sowing the seed says, do not pull them up. Leave them there. Let the good seed, the Christian, and let the lost, let them both grow together. The word tear is an interesting word. It's a plant that superficially appeared very much like wheat. Especially when only the stems and the leaves of each one have sprouted. As both of them are very young in their growth, you cannot identify between a wheat and a tear. So instead of pulling them both up, you may pull up some of the good wheat in the process. And then another thing is, is when they grow close together, some of the wheat, they're, they're intertwined together, the root system. So if you would pull up the tares, you would also pull up the wheat at the same time. That's why the landowner says, do not pull them up. Let them both grow together. So the reflection is this, as you look out on the world, guess what? Lost people and saved people look alike. Lost people are humans just like saved people. Saved people are humans just like lost people. Both wear different types of clothing. You can't look at someone and say, man, he looks like a Christian. Now you may ju be judgmental like that and just because somebody may have a coat and tie on doesn't mean he's a Christian or not. You can't identify lost and saved by physical appearance. What about some of the things that we do? Some of the things, the good works that we do. Maybe you identify people that way. And that may be possible as well. But you and I both know that there are Christians sometimes that do bad things and there are non-Christians that do good things. 
So you can't identify whether somebody is saved or lost by what they look like or by what they're wearing or by what they do. The only way you can identify whether someone is saved or lost is by the heart. And you and I can't do that. In fact, you would assume coming into a place like this that everybody in this house knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But that's not true. Every time we open our doors in every church across America and across our world, there are people who are putting on maybe a presentation, but in their heart there is no repentance and there's no fruit and there's no salvation. And everything on the outside, guess what's happening? We're all growing together until one time a judge comes and he begins to divide and separate the wheat and the tares. So the reflection of the seeds are this. We don't know who is saved and who is lost. And we can't assume anything at all. We must plant the gospel when bad things happen to people that we know. You would say something like this. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. And what we're saying is we don't know what's in the heart of an individual. We don't know this morning, you may have come in with a smile on your face, but in your heart you are hurting, discouraged because of something. I don't know whether you're saved or lost. Similarities between Christians and non-Christians are, is, is, a, is a big, it's a huge list. So non-Christians grow as the enemy plants those that are the tares, those that are lost. At the same time, those that are Christians to bloom where you're planted where God has you, wherever it may be. The issue is not to leave, but to bloom where you're at. As a pastor, I get this a lot. I say, somebody may come, Brother John, I work at a place and everybody's lost. Would you pray that God give me another job? I'd say, no. You need to bloom where you're planted. And you, in your ministry and your workplace, are there because as the enemy has has. Uh, made the, the, the tares and the lost and planted all those seeds, God has put a wheat, a grain of wheat to grow right there in the middle of it all to bloom where you are planted. If you're in a workplace and you're the only believer, praise God for that. You can share the gospel every minute of your workplace. You have family that is lost. Bloom where you are planted and share the gospel and to be, uh, let, let those that are lost, let it be exposed. Let them be exposed to you and to what you are know about the Lord Jesus Christ. The reflection of the seeds. And then number four is this. I want you to see the rejection of the sinner. The rejection of the sinner. The Bible says in verse number 30, where it talks about how they will gather up the bundles of the tares and burn them. Gather the wheat in my barn. Verse 40 and following talks about, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all things that offend all those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The rejection of the sinner... Friend, there is coming a time sooner rather than later where Jesus Christ will come back and He is the righteous judge. He is perfect. All people will stand in His presence whether saved or rather lost. If they're lost, it's the great white throne judgment of God. 
We learned that two weeks ago, how those that will stand and their heaven and earth has passed away and all that is there is a throne and billions of people who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And He will look down upon them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He will gather the wheat together. They will too will stand in front of a judgment, but it is the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment. And you will be judged not on the basis of your salvation, but on the basis of your works after you get saved. And all that is on based of your rewards that you will get in heaven and you will be there forever and ever. The rejection of the sinner, how Jesus will come and He will divide those in America. He will divide those in our world. He will divide those in our churches. He will divide those in our families. He will divide those in marriages, those that are lost, those that are saved. Nobody in this room except you knows if you're saved or not. Nobody but you. Of course, our Lord does. But only you. And my question today is, Jesus were to come back today as the righteous judge and separate the wheat and the tares, where would you go? The Bible is very plain. It is very clear. That it's not about what's on the outside. It's not about what you have done. It's not about the works that you've done. But it's about the repentance of your heart. It's about knowing that Jesus Christ died for you. Gave you an opportunity to trust Him as His Lord and Savior. Heard a man speaking the other day and he was telling a story about how he was overseas speaking to a, bunch of, uh, speaking to a group of people about the gospel. And there were several different religions that he was talking to. There was one who worshiped this way and one who worshiped this way and one who worshiped this way. And as he began to share the gospel, all of them were very uh, excited to hear about religion and the gospel. And at the end of it, the, the missionary, the guy that was speaking to, the, to the, the groups that were there, he said, you know, Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. And all of those said, well, you have your way and, and I have my way and, and all of us are going to go up the mountain and we're all going to end up in the same place. It's just we're going different directions. You know, Jesus is this way and maybe Muhammad this way and, and, and Buddha this way and, 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 and all these different ways and they all lead up to God. And as the spotlight was on this man telling the story and how everybody except him agreed to that. The writer, the guy who was telling the story said, so, so God's on top of the mountain. And we're all going that way. And the guy said, yeah, yeah, that, that's it. We're all going the same way. He said, what if you can't get to the top of the mountain? And he said, what separates me from all of your religions is we can't get to the top of the mountain. So the one on the top of the mountain came down. And he became one of us. 
And He died. And He paid for all of sin. Not so that we would have to work and hope we'd get to the top. But instead, we would embrace the One who left heaven's throne and came down to this earth and took our hell, took our sin, died on the cross. So that whether the world is getting good or getting bad, that's really, that's not the main point. The main point is, do you know Jesus? And have you turned from your sins and invited Him to come into your heart and to save you as your Lord and as your Savior? And if Jesus were to come back today, what group would you be in? I ask if you would to bow your heads all across this room. The Bible says, He who has an ear, let him hear. Friend, I encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to come. Give you an opportunity just to turn and to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. That's the only thing that matters in your life. It's whether you know Jesus. So in just a moment, we have an invitation. I just want you to come. I'm going to be right down here in the front. I just want you to come to me and say, Brother John, I hear what you're saying this morning. And I don't want to leave this place without knowing Jesus and without being a child of God. Jesus Christ could come back before we even finish this service. And begin His judging process. Friend, don't wait. Just because you're here this morning doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you may be a member of First Baptist Church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Nobody knows that except you and Jesus. Christian, let me encourage you to bloom where you're planted. God doesn't make mistakes. He's got you right where He wants you. In the midst of all of what the enemy is doing, He's got you exactly where He wants you. Bloom where you're planted. Father, I thank You for this passage, Lord, that we've looked at this morning. I pray, Lord, as Your Holy Spirit is searching our hearts. God, that for a child, a teenager, a man, woman, boy, girl, would look deep down inside their hearts and ask this question, do I really know Jesus? Father, if not, would they come? Would they come? Or there may be others who need to make other decisions this morning. I challenge them to come as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.